0: fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever and with fishing booker you can experience it too no matter where you are discover your next adventure on fishing booker
1: we're having to get better at running a business because we have a very unique business now in in the ag scene. It's not just production agriculture, right? We're running a, an entire a grocery store on the side. So those factors are: what kind of business do you want to have? What kind of population do you have? What's your location like? And we always want it to be a you know a produce forward place, and that is what we're known for. Um, and and how we how we display things and what we grow and sell, um, you know, plays into that foodie culture where you need need to have beautiful produce. You can't have a good grocery store without good produce. That's why they put it out front.
2: That was Max from MX Morningstar Farm in Hudson, New York. Max and his family, as well as the whole team, run a 50-acre farm, a wildly popular farm store, and sell wholesale produce. This is the Farm Traveler Podcast, and I am your host, Trevor Williams. On this episode, I'll be chatting with Max Morningstar on how he went from cooking to farming and why he's been doing the latter for over 20 years. Max will cover how the Hudson area saw a population boom during and after the pandemic and the positive impact that has had on the farm. We'll also talk about what goes into managing their farm store, partnering with neighboring farmers to support local agriculture, and the importance of letting the market determine what your business will do. And lastly, Max and I will chat about how he and his wife are inspired by Italian cuisine and food culture, why Morningstar Farm stopped selling at farmer's markets, and why your plans in business and life should always be flexible. When the show's over, check out the links below to connect with Max and everyone at MX Morningstar Farm, as well as links to check out more Farm Traveler content. And if you enjoyed the episode, Consider sharing the episode by clicking the share icon on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and messaging it to a friend or family member. Now, enough from me. Please enjoy episode 202 with Max Morningstar. So, I was emailing you, and obviously we had that snafu of, like, Morningstar Farms yeah, and the whole yeah. thing. I'm sure you'll have that issue a lot,
1: right? It, it's, a uh... See, I find it, I find it kind of funny because you know, growing up with that as my last name, but also, um, that brand. I think it's, it's either Kellogg or General Mills. I mean, it's, like, it's a big multinational. It's sold in every supermarket across the country, and it's amazing how many people go to our website and decide. There's no pictures of veggie burgers or anything like that <laughs> spelling aside, spelling aside, um, how many people go to that website and say like, these are the guys and they call us or email us with uh, like complaints about, um, products and it, it's really, and apparently I don't work in the store, but apparently the store gets calls just about every week from people with issues with their veggie burgers <laughs> or whatever. So, <laughs> Um, it does, it does happen often, but it hasn't caused us any problems so far.
2: So, so y'all are in New York state. I mean, do you ever have anybody local that kind of calls and complains and you're like, Hey, actually we're not that company, but if you want to come see, check out the farm store.
1: Uh, yeah, we, nobody, I don't, I don't think we've ever gotten a response from anybody like that. Most uh, of them are just kind of annoyed that they have to f- figure out another way to, to get what they want. So I don't yeah. think we have any customers via the, via the crossover, but.
2: I mean that's annoying, but at least I mean you know people are learning about you that kind of way. But yeah, tell us about like what's your background and what was the whole start of MX Morning Star Farm?
1: Yeah, so um, I had been farming. I'm I'm from the Eastern Massachusetts area originally, and I farmed out there um, for for almost ten years. I'm not uh, my parents aren't farmers. You know, I'm a kid in the suburbs and um, kind of transitioned to agriculture through working in kitchens when I was in high school and um, farmed out in Massachusetts for about 10 years, ran some farms and um, then decided it was time to start my own place. And just in the land hunt, I was fairly flexible with where the location could be. I wanted to stay in the northeast, but um, fairly flexible with where it could be Uh, and ended up leasing land in eastern New York. Um, right on the Massachusetts border. Um, and that's where I started the farm. I moved out here, didn't really know the area, but I had some contacts out this way in the Berkshires of Massachusetts and, um, several employees, um, for the farm that I had been running for eight years, um, actually came out with me to help, help on that first year. Uh, and some of them are still here actually. And, um, so we were leasing ground, um, in Copake, New York for five years. Um, and you know, always kind of wanted to own the land. I, I knew leasing wasn't gonna, um, do it in the long run. So started hunting around and, um, through some friends in the area, met the owner of our current farm, which is about 20 minutes from where I started started the farm, um, same County, um, right outside of Hudson, New York. And, um, was introduced to the owner here and started working on it. And then about a couple of years later moved and started renting this farm. Um, while we, you know, ironed out the details of the purchase. And then we closed on the farm in late 2020, I think. Uh, um, okay. 2021, Thanks. 2021 was when we closed on, closed on the property. So we own, we own this guy now. Um, as the joke was, we now own a hundred acres and a bunch of dilapidated buildings that we'll be paying for, for the rest of our lives. So, uh, <laughs> you know, the joys of it, but, um, so we, when we first started the farm, we, a from not really knowing the area, we didn't really know what we were going to be. We knew we wanted to produce produce, uh, had an eye towards CSA originally, but um, when we moved out here, we kind of threw spaghetti at the wall. We did farmer's markets, did wholesale, um, restaurant sales, um, started a CSA, uh, and we did have a little farm stand, low-key farm stand in Copake, um, but quiet town, quiet street quiet sales. So not a lot
2: of traffic. Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. Um, and we honed that down. Um, the business progressed and we became mostly a wholesale operation, which worked for us for the most part. We grow a lot of crops for winter storage. So we sell crops, root crops and squash and potatoes and sweet potatoes. That's kind of the big, the big wholesale arena for us. And, um, we were fairly content with that, but when we moved to this new property, this new property already had an existing it, what used to be a farm stand. It was extremely dilapidated, but but it was there on a very busy highway, uh, you know, state state highway, right outside of Hudson, New York. And Hudson is kind of the like what's they call it a uh, up upstate's downtown, right? So okay. Uh, okay you know, a lot of second homeowners, a lot of weekend traffic from the city. Um, and we knew we wanted to build out a store. My wife and I, um, we have a knack for retail. Like we were, we we're, were always good at going to farmer's markets, um, known for really high quality produce and beautiful displays, um, And so we built out the farm store in the first year we were here, but it was really low tech. You know, we didn't have a door. it was open two days, three days a week. Me, I was in there two days a week and our bookkeeper's mother was in there on Friday afternoons, you know, is that, that kind of vibe. Um, and then going into 2020, we decided, all right, this is the year we're gonna, you know, we're gonna build this out, hired somebody to run it, picked some hours. Um, Bought a cooler, bought a freezer, put in a door, you know, that kind of that kind of stuff. And then COVID happened. And uh, that actually turned out to be a real boon for us, um, because what we found not only did Hudson, the city of Hudson, um, was the number one in-migration city in the country. um, Really? at At least according to New York Times. Um, cause people really fled New York. I mean, mm-hmm. they, they ran out of New York. It destroyed the housing market here, but, um, for anybody who's lower income, like we are, but, um, it was a really good thing for that farm store. And suddenly we had people seeking out smaller places to shop and we, our population nearly doubled in, in, in a short span of time and the population doubled with. People in a higher income bracket who are used to shopping at higher end stores in in New York City, yeah. and so that fit kind of what we did, you know where everybody everybody here is an avid cook, right? I got into this through cooking. my wife is an, my wife's an avid cook. We're, we're food people. Um, everybody in the store food people, it's an ingredients shop, you know, that was really what we, what we wanted to curate. Um, and so that was a a real launch pad, um, from that point on. Um, and it's, it's, it's actually amazing how much it's continued to progress, um, even past that first year. Uh, and that's, that's really now where we're at. We're going into next year will be the 10th, will be our 10 year anniversary. Nice. And now that's the vast majority of our income comes from retail sales through the, through the farm store. Uh, and that continues to grow. Um, this we still do wholesale. We've dropped, this was our first year in all those years dropping. We dropped out of our farmer's market spot. We were attending a, a farmer's market in great Barrington. Um, and we dropped out of that market going into this year. Um, but we're still doing our, our standard wholesale crops. And we sell to a lot of other farms, um, as well as restaurants. Um, but those sweet potatoes, squash and potatoes, that's, that's all, most of it sold in bulk to other, other growers, processors, and, um, distributors. So we're still doing that, but it's, the store has allowed us to really focus our energy on those wholesale crops. So rather than running, okay. this like, which, which is kind of a dream come true for me. Um, but rather we're still a very diversified farm. We still grow everything you can grow, but that proportion of the business in acres is shrinking, right? So as we're able to focus on this retail component where our dollars per acre are much, much higher than wholesale potatoes, um, we can just grow a lot less of that super diversified, um, operation. So allowing us to focus our energy on those three or four crops that we want to sell in bulk, um, we're able to actually put that energy in there now, cause we're not running around trying to grow, uh, 50 acres of diversified vegetables, which is just a crazy it's just a crazy system, you know. You need so many people and so many machines to like make something like that work. That I have a hard time seeing the efficiency gains of um, that model just continually expanding. You have to eventually pick a lane um, and get really good at that. So that's in in a weird way, having a retail store has allowed us to become less diverse, or at least the acreage to become less diverse.
2: That makes sense. I mean, it seems like you guys were able to experiment to see what's going to work for you. I mean, you did farmers markets, but then you close out of it. And now farm market or your farm store, and then doing those commodity crops. Like that's awesome. You're figuring out what works for you guys, especially in that area.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. We did. We did everything. We still have a CSA too. It's it's pretty small. It's under 100 members. But, um, yeah, we did. We kind of we we've always said that we'll we'll let the market determine what we're doing. You know, um. We we I, it feels like a lot in this industry. You see a lot of people who come into it, it tends to be people early in their career where it's a where it's a, a push economics kind of idea where they say, "Well, I want to grow this," and they grow that, and then try to force that into whatever space they're in. Um, and we've always said, like, "Okay, well, the market's really good. We don't want to go to farmers market. Nobody wants to go to farmers market, but the money's really good, so we're going to keep." keep at it. And what eventually happened was we said, okay, well, we're actually, we, we were ending up sending more products to the farmer's market because we can buy them in for the store. We can't buy them in for the farmer's market. And so we suddenly find ourselves like, okay. And, you know, my wife and my brother's wife are going and running the market and I'm helping set up and, and it's, you know, this crazy thing. But the store, which is our bread and butter, doesn't have everything that we're growing in it on the shelves. We're buying it from other farms. And that it felt like we needed to make the jump away from market and really focus on having our own stuff stocking the shelves at at this store. Um, But yes, we have experimented over the years with all kinds of different things from scale and diversity to where it's going. Um, And it feels like we're, you know, every year we're we're learning more and getting better every year. So every year something changes, but uh, it feels like we're kind of on the right track now um, and really focusing in on this retail side.
2: Well, that's good. And so I saw earlier on your Instagram page, you guys started selling local meat, right?
1: Oh yeah. We, we, we sell, we sell everything at, at our store. Um, it, it's, it's really a, a, a grocery store. Um, nice. and we do, we have, um, two reach in fridges and three freezers with, um, you know, things like local meat, um, a little, a lot of local meat, um, fish, other seafood, frozen dumplings, lots of ice. We sell a a ton of ice cream actually. (laughs) Nice. Okay. (laughs) Kind of like
2: local ice cream or
1: what? Some local ice cream. Uh, well, it's all, you know, not, we're not selling, you know, national brands, but we, we sell a lot for out of Western mass from one, one type. And then, um, there's a few other brands we've, we've messed around with, We, you know, we were buying ice cream from Brooklyn, but people didn't really like it. So we stopped selling it and we're carrying Van Leeuwen now. I forget where Van Leeuwen's out of, but, um, so yeah, local, local ice cream, anything we can get local, we will. Um, but primarily it's about carrying great products that people want, um, with that, with that farm, with that produce forward, um, we're still known for our produce. That's why people come here. But we do sell everything else. Uh, but yeah, we sell a lot of a lot of um, we have three core partners for meat that we work with okay. uh, all within uh, about half hour of the farm.
2: Nice. I mean, it seems like the more I think about it, I mean, just kind of what you guys have done, it seems like it's a balancing act. Like you don't want to not every farm can have a farm store and you don't want to have every different product in your farm. So because then you just c- kind of become like a small grocery store, like with everything and you're not featuring like your products, you know what I mean? So it sounds like that's like a very delicate balancing act between like featuring your products and the community around you.
1: Well, and again, I think that that, yes. And I think it depends on a lot of factors there. Mm, like um, what? There's a lot of factors, things like who's your customer base is, is, you know, where are you geographically? Mm-hmm. Um, And what's the, what's the competition in the area, right? Like we're in a fairly rural community with, we're in a fairly special place in that we're in a rural community. There's a shop right in Hannaford's, but you know, there's no, there's no Whole Foods. There's no, there's no higher end grocery shop in this area. We are that now. Um, And then what kind of store do you want to run is another is another component of it right because you there's a lot of ways you could have we could have done this if we had decided we didn't want to run a grocery store right um but in bringing in these other products what it's allowed us to do you know we're open seven days a week year round um so this this is a this is a, a a constant cash flow tool for us um our sales don't drop that much in the winter anymore um, they obviously go up in the summer, but, um, our baseline sales are, are fairly high all through the winter, even as, you know, farm expenses are down. Um, it's allowed us to keep a staff on, um, all through the winter. This farm is unique in that it, it is has become a family farm. Um, so I started the farm the first with, with those former employees of the place I had been running. Um, I met my wife up here when I when I moved to the area, she got involved, were the owners. And then my sister, who had gone to ag school, decided to start, you know, move out this way and start working with us. She eventually transitioned out of the ag, the production side, and now is the, the store manager. So mm, she yeah. really runs that operation. Um, and then my brother and his wife, um, who had worked for me for years, uh, at in Massachusetts and were running a farm out that way, decided they needed to change and they moved out here. So now, so, you know, there's five family members running, running this operation, which not everybody has that opportunity or wants that opportunity. Um, but for us, we've, for us, it's really worked. And the team of uh, the family team coming together and r- helping to keep this whole big operation running. Cause it is a fairly complex business now. And it's kind of, we're having to get better at running a business because nice. okay. we have a very unique business now in, in the ag scene. It's not just production agriculture, right? We're running a, an entire a grocery store on the side. So, um, those factors are what kind of business do you want to have? What kind of population do you have? What's your location like? Um, And we always want it to be a, you know, a produce forward place. And that is what we're known for. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and how we, how we display things and what we grow and sell, um, you know, plays into that foodie culture where you need you need to have beautiful produce you can't have a good grocery store without good produce that's why they put it out front right every grocery store you walk into you walk into the produce section there's a reason for that and having this beautiful and extensive list of, of local and organic products um, is one of the reasons people come to shop for everything else there
2: that's a really good point. Yeah. Anytime you walk in Whole Foods or somewhere like I'm, I'm down here in Florida and we have Publix everywhere and it's amazing. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like a lesser, I, I guess you could say, like kind of a lesser quality Whole Foods, but it's super great. And I mean, you walk in, you see the produce everywhere. Um, And so you kind of touch base on it. Like what do you guys grow? Like organic, non-organic? And then why do you grow that way?
1: Uh, we are a certified organic operation. So we grow okay. um, about 40 acres of produce. Um on about 60 acres of land and then we have land in cover crops um fallowed and cover crops uh and then all the produce is certified organic um i have i guess always grown organically that was how when, when i did an apprenticeship that's how i learned to that's how i learned to farm okay um so, so it was a fairly natural transition in terms of you know Uh, just sticking with that, but, um, and now certainly the, the market that, that's where, that's where the market is right now, um, and, and has been for a while. Um, if we, I'm not saying we wouldn't, our business wouldn't go under if we switched to conventional ag ag tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Uh, but we would lose some customers and i think we would become there's there's a there's an appeal in the market for organic farms that's that's been the direction it's been going for years and and that's that's very prevalent in this area so um that's that's how we do it why we do it is again dictated mostly by market and experience
2: Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, and let's talk about that, that apprenticeship real quick. So you said you, you worked in the kitchen for a while. Like what what, was it like fast food? Was it like finer dining? Like what was that experience? And then how did you transition to that apprenticeship?
1: Uh, well it was, it wasn't fast food and it wasn't fine dining. It was kind of in between, you know, uh, first place was a, was a Mexican restaurant, just a local Mexican restaurant. Um, and that's where I got into it. I was a bus boy. And then, you know, moved into cooking when somebody quit or got fired or something. And they, they stuck me in there um, and I actually really liked that. That business eventually went under a new restaurant opened in its place. I stayed on as a cook in the new place, there you, go. Kind of, you know, American pub food, nothing, nothing fancy, but, but not, not a prepackaged packaged joint. Um, but I was young, you know, I was, uh, I had been working in kitchens for, I think since I was about 16 is when I started working in the kitchen. And then, you know, right, right around 19 years old, I'm still figuring out what I want to do. Um, and, uh, there was a, it was an educational, it was kind of like an adult education program for farming, you know, an, an agricultural education program for, for, um, They called it an apprenticeship, but it was at a place called the Farm School in Western Massachusetts. Oh, nice. Um, It's a working farm um, that students come and they stay there, you know, and you, you live in the house, in a farmhouse, and it's got dorm style building in it and cook communally. And then... You work on the farm, and then also have some more formal education side, specifically in the off season, but also during the during the season. It was a fairly new program. I'm not actually sure they do it anymore, <laughs> um, but uh, it was a fairly new program when I did it. So it was really um, it was more like living and working on, you know, a small vegetable and and meat operation in Western Massachusetts with a little bit of farm, formal learning. So I did that for about a year before um, leaving to take a job, um, managing a small farm back near where I grew up.
2: Okay, that's awesome. And so, I mean, what were some of your favorite things like after you transitioned from cooking to being in the ag world? Like what are, what are some things that really hooked you?
1: Well, I mean, I, I mean, the the biggest motivator was being outside for work versus versus mm. inside for work. There are a lot of, there's a lot of crossover actually between kitchen work and, um, and ag work. They're very, very different fields, but both very physically demanding, mentally demanding, long hours, uh, underappreciated, underpaid, <laughs> uh, you know, a lot of a lot of really great stuff there, but um, built around the industry being satisfying for the people who work there, if not, um, pleasurable, right. Mm. The difference between, um, pleasure and satisfaction is a very stark difference and you can have a balance there in either way. And, and farming much like kitchen work was, um, very rewarding work in its own way, even though it was not particularly pleasurable during the, you know, the, the real, the real shit storm that so much of it is. <laughs> um, but so I liked the, I liked the intensity. I liked being outside. Um, and I think I liked the challenge. Um, but again, you know, being 19 years old, um, there were a lot of things when I was 19 as an apprentice that I really liked then, um, that I don't think I would enjoy (laughs) doing, you know, and, um, you, you kind of, it's inevitable that you mature in your in your field and in your industry. So, um, when I first started that, I thought I really wanted to have a small a small farm, more like a homestead, and then that turned into oh, maybe it, maybe it's a small vegetable farm. And after you know, over time, kind of seeing what that those industries look like, I realized I actually wanted to run a larger scale vegetable operation, focusing on the machinery side and kind of making things easier for myself. Um, rather than harder, so um, you know, being outside, getting to work with my hands, and getting that same that same kind of level of satisfaction that cooking, and being you know not completely disconnected from that world that I really enjoyed in in working in kitchens. Right, I was still I was driving a delivery truck and going into you know some of the best restaurants in Boston and making deliveries mm-hmm. and getting on a first name basis with with the sous and, you know, getting to know everybody in the kitchens. So there was this weird parallel universe I'd kind of found myself in that um, allowed me to get a little piece of that, that other industry that I really liked and had considered joining, you know?
2: Yeah, that's an interesting perspective, because, I mean, as a cook, you experienced, I mean, you know, like how the ingredients are used to make all these different dishes. And now as a farmer, you're like, you know what? I have a farm store. Consumers are getting these ingredients or cooking with them. So it's like, you know what those chefs, those home chefs are on the lookout for, you know, like what ingredients they're wanting, what they want to experiment with. So I feel like that's a very unique position that you're in.
1: Yeah, well, and and it's, um, again, you know, I'm a cook. My wife's, you know, uh, an Italian immigrant. my my sister is an avid baker her husband is a butcher and a and an avid cook. oh cool my my brother and his wife are are both food people you know this is this is what we do and we do pay attention to food trends right we do we all have the new york times pay for the new york times cooking app on our phones and we you know we have cooking magazines that get delivered we pay attention to this world and so that group of customers, right? That segment of the population which is really who's shopping with us. We know what they want because it's what we want too, right? Um we don't bring anything into the store that we don't think is great. You know, and that's this is our this is produce. This is I think my my sister has a reputation as being like a hard produce buyer, you know? Um like we'll, we'll we move a lot of volume through our store. Like if you have something nice that we don't grow, we'll we'll move it. Um, and we'll, and we can get a pretty good dollar for it, but there's, there's no bad produce in the store. If it comes in, we'll reject it or it goes, or it gets composted. Um, and any grocery frozen items that come in, um, our primary, and you know, talking again about like local organic, we want local and organic for everything in the store,
2: hmm. but
1: that's not the main, that's not the starting bar. Right, the bar is—is is it good? Right? Does it okay. taste good? Does it, does it taste good? Does it look good? Does it have good branding? Do people want to buy it? Right? Because that's a, that's another thing that's just an unfortunate reality of the world we live in is you have to communicate through your brand that somebody wants that, and then that product has to live up to that expectation. So we're we're balancing that, um, but. Somebody comes in with a sample. We like the sound of it. It fits, you know, a hole in what we have. They have nice branding. We say, all right, give us the samples. My sister and her husband take some home. My wife and I take some home. My brother and his wife take some home. And we all try it. And we say, was this good? It was good. Okay, bring it in. Or, eh, then we probably don't bring it in. <laughs> um, and that's, that's you know, that's why our store exists. That's why it has the volume capacity that it has is because people know that when they come in to get something from us, it's just about the best of the stuff that we can, we can bring in. And we have products from Italy, a lot of products from Italy. Um, A lot of products from, we have products from Japan. Um, We have products from, um, you know, down the road. So it it varies a lot. We're always shooting for local and organic when we can get it. But again, the main, the main decider for us is, is it good? Um, and I'm not sure how I got onto this thread, but, but that, or that perspective about like, a, a right. A cook's perspective on mm. how to run a store is exactly what, you know, that it is a unique set of experiences that we have and bring to this, um, is you want to appeal to this market it helps if you're already a, a natural shopper and a cook, right? Somebody who walks into a store and like likes the way things are laid out and likes quality yeah. ingredients. It, it helps. It was a great launch pad for us to, you know, again, I talked about, we, we had a knack for retail. That was why we had a knack for retail, right? Mm. Like Ita- Italian produce markets and high-end food shops were like in our wheelhouse, right? That was like something we had, experience with um and could kind of replicate and use as a building as a foundation for for the retail operation we have now.
2: So before I forget,
1: what part of Italy is your wife from? Uh she's uh, her father's family is from Vicenza, which is uh northeastern Italy west of uh Venice. Okay. Her mother's down um uh Firenzuola, kind of the the Parma region. Um, Central Italy, and she moved to the States when she was a little kid. Um, nice. But, um, yeah, so that's where she's from. Her parents currently live in uh, northern Tuscany outside of Pisa. Um, she's actually leaving tomorrow to go visit. I can't go this year.
2: Oh, nice. but, oh um, man, that's unfortunate.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, sorry. I mean, I, I'm not, I mean, we don't have the money this year, and that's okay. Um, but so she's going to go. I can't go this year, but... Um, so that's where she's was, you know, born and lived the first several years of her life before moving to the States. So she's, she's American, but technically, technically an Italian immigrant and spent a lot of time over there. And I have spent a fair bit of time over there now too. And, um, kind of know the, the produce world fairly well, uh, at least. So that's super cool.
2: Yeah. My wife and I, we went there for our fifth wedding anniversary. In December of last year and January, we'd say they're over um, New Year's. We went to Paris, Venice, and Rome. And when we were in Venice, we went to Padua, which is like 15 minutes northwest. Yeah, Yeah. we did a cooking class. And it was the best thing we've ever done. We made tiramisu. We made um, ravioli. And we were talking with, it was this lady named um, Issa. So she has like a cooking school. Mm-hmm. And she was talking about how like Italy doesn't have a cuisine. It's all the different regions have their own unique takes exactly. on all the different dishes. And she was talking about how like um, a tiramisu there might be totally different than a tiramisu you might find in Rome. And I was like, oh, okay. Absolutely. And Absolutely. she was talking, yeah. she was like, if there's alcohol in tiramisu, it's not tiramisu. It's just coffee. That's it. And right, she was like right, very right. adamant about it. It was so fun.
1: Yeah. That's, that's, that's a, a very, very true. It's, it's extremely regional. Um, everybody has their regional dish and different things. It's really fun if you go in the summer because um, one of the things that's always going on in the summer, I think they do it a little bit in the winter too, but it's a very Italian summer thing. is a sagra. So okay. it's just basically an outside. It's, like it's, it's kind of like a block party in some ways, but it'll be held in one location, and they have a kitchen that's there seasonally, and they pick one thing – that they make. Right. So we were in, in Luca where her parents live. And so it was, um, what was it? It was uh, mushroom mushroom season, right. Mm, Uh, uh, Morels. I think it was, it was that, that, that time of year. Um, and so we, um, at the sagras, that's what they're cooking, right. You get, um, uh, polenta and mushrooms, right. And that's all, all you can, and there's, you know, you can get, you can get beer and wine and they might have a couple other snacks there, but that's what you do. And every different, every town you go to, most of them, they have a sagra going on in that town during the summer and you get to try something else from that, that little area. So it's, it's a fun way to check it out. Um, but learning, learning about Italian food culture has been, a, a fun part of traveling there and, you know, learning the culture kind of, through my wife's family. Um, and it's, it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful place. It, it is. It's, yeah. It's, it's when really, we were there special.
2: Yeah. yeah it, it was the best food that we have ever had. I mean, it, mm. like every, even like just this random mom and the pop restaurant in Rome had the best pizza I've ever had. Yep. Like, yeah.
1: Good time. And then of it's, course
2: the Aperol Spritz everywhere is also. Yes, yes,
1: yes, yes. <laughs> of course. And I tell people a lot that, um, you know, people have this tendency to ask you like, Oh my God, what was the, what was the best thing you had there? And you, you know, you walk away from it is it's not, it's not, there's not one explosive restaurant. There's not one explosive moment. Like what, what people don't understand is it's just that the bar is so much higher there than it is here about what, what you eat, right? Everywhere you go. I mean, the, the, the auto grills on the highway, the, the rest stops, right? (laughs) They have have fantastic food (laughs) at the the auto group. And uh, the whole culture is around that food scene. And it's, it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's not something you, it's hard to explain until you go there and really experience every spot you go to. Um, You're going to have a better coffee at every coffee spot. You find every cafe is going to have better coffee than anywhere you've had in the States more than likely. Right. And that's just kind of where the bar is. Uh, and it's cheap. That's another thing that's beautiful about is is how accessible that food is for everybody, um, mm-hmm. which I still find shocking when we travel. There, <laughs> it's, it's just that's one more piece of the magic, I guess.
2: Yeah, I feel like it can, the difference can be summed up with coffee. I mean, kind of like you were saying, like it's here in the US, it's quantity. And over there, it's quality. Like Um, Issa, the the chef was talking about, she was like, you don't see anybody in Italy drinking these big old cups of coffee like a Starbucks. It's a little, little tiny coffee cup and you're sipping it and you're enjoying it. Like it's Mm -hmm. not Mm -hmm. just, you're not drinking like a massive thing of coffee. So I feel like it's quality versus quantity. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and I mean, I, one of the things I really liked about coffee culture there was, um, there's two ways to do it, right? You can sit and you have your coffee and you chat with a friend for hours and they don't expect you to leave. And you don't mm-hmm. have to buy anything. You can have one coffee and sit there all day. Um, but if you are on the go, you pop in, you stand at the bar, right? You stand yeah. at the bar and you order an espresso, put a sugar in it, knock it back, and then and then head on your way. And it's, yeah, it's, we would like to retire there um, eventually. And it's just uh, sometimes I wish that could be sooner probably <laughs> rather, <than, laughs> rather than later <laughs> well would you i mean what could the plan be
2: like to retire there and eventually open up like a small farm and a farm store in italy somewhere that would be
1: really cool uh, we we've talked about that um you know the the economy there is not the way the economy is here um mm. i'm not sure that that would have to be more of a, a semi retirement plan. You know, we, we have yeah. talked about that before. We've had some scary moments in this. I mean, this is this is like anybody starting starting a business, right? Nobody. Nobody starts a business thinking they're going to fail. Um, so we've we've had some some scary moments where we, re- we really thought we were going to go under, you know, a couple of times and. Um, You know, we talked about what we would do instead. And, you know, an agriturismo in Italy sounds like a great way for us to take any money that's left over and start something like that. You know, we'd be great hosts of a place like that. But uh, when we talk about. We have a fairly good life quality here now um, and a fairly big business that keeps us pretty busy, the idea of as as her father said, like you don't want you don't want to work in Italy, like you don't want to, like it's a great place if you've got a little bit of this to do on the side, a little bit of that, you know, you keep busy, you make a little cash, that's fine, but you don't want to like have a job, mm, yeah, it's just not what it's here for, <laughs> and so you're here to enjoy all, it, not to you're, work. You know, while I, you're here. Was, yeah, and and it's hard; it's a hard place to have a business. It's a hard place to have employees. Um, it's, it's not, it's a bureaucratic nightmare there getting anything done. Um, so when we think about what retirement looks like, I'm not also at this point, I've been farming for almost 20 years. Farming doesn't have a part of my retirement. I've, (laughs) I'm done. I'll check. I have no problem giving this up. Yeah. (laughs) So. Yeah, once you do it for
2: twenty years, I feel like I feel like a lot of people when they are retired from farming, they're like, "I'm not doing any sort of gardening or anything no, no. in retirement."
1: Like that's no, it. I don't, no, I don't need, that. I really don't need that.
2: Um, I, I don't know if we've mentioned it, but like, how important is like agritourism on your farm? Like besides the farm store and everything, like how important it is to get people to come and visit and see what you guys are
1: doing? So we actually don't do any agritourism. Okay, um, because right of now. the farm store. Well, the farm store is. I mean, in a way, it is agritourism, right? But like yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a store on a vegetable farm. People know that. And, mm-hmm. you know, we have picnic benches out front and um, we sell a lot of grab and go items that people do come and we have a beautiful view of the Catskill Mountains from the front of, uh, front of the store. So people come and hang out and do their shopping and meet up with friends and stuff like that. But um, we don't have. Uh, any you pick, we don't do wagon rides or festivals or anything, anything like that. Um, I should, there'd be a, if I was writing you an email, there'd be a little asterisk because it would be yet cause we could mm, see, right. we could see certain aspects of that being something we do. But, um, we, as far as our brand and kind of public image, that doesn't really fit who we are. Um, I think we could, I think people would like it if we started bringing certain components of it on. We've talked about doing a pumpkin patch because we like that. Unfortunately, our the way our farm is laid out, all the infrastructure is on one side of mm. Route 9H, which is a, you know, I mean, it's a state highway. It's, it's a two lane road, but it's a 55 mile an hour speed limit. It's, it's fairly heavily trafficked. Um, and all of our, infrastructure is on that side and all of our farmland is on the other side of the road. So we'd have to put in a parking lot and build a shed to like, you know, for people to park and pay and all that across the street. I can't have people crossing a state highway to go pick strawberries. So that's one major barrier to that. Um, Another piece of it is we're not sure if we need that component. Mm -hmm. There there are a lot of challenges, as I'm sure you know, interviewing people around it. um, dealing with the public is challenging. And dealing with UPIC can be challenging. Um, I have a friend down the road who does a lot of UPIC and, you know, it's got its own unique set of circum of of challenges and rewards. Um, And we're not sure if we just if we want to add that to the myriad of other problems we have around here. Um, We've talked about doing a wedding site, which is something we may do um, in the future. Um, We've talked about um, the possibility of doing some kind of some kind of fall festival or something, something like that to just get a little bit more attention. Most of the time for us, the draw to agritourism is actually trying to get more people to seek out the store. Um, Because it's amazing how many people know us in this area, but it's amazing how many people come in every week and say, oh, my God, how long have you been here? Because they just because they just didn't know Um, you, which you'd understand if you saw the building. The building is still pretty much in its original state that it was in when we bought it, which is as a kind of a band abandoned chic vibe, you know, so people drive by it and they don't necessarily know there's a store despite our best (laughs) efforts. So, yeah. Um, so the, the draw to agritourism is again, like finding, figuring out ways to get more people to come to the farm and then discover the store. And then once you, most of the time when people come into the store, they come in once and they're, they're hooked. So that's the main motivator for any agritourism, but beyond a plant sale, which is a big thing. We produce a lot of, you know, bedding plants and plant starts and hanging baskets and stuff for sale. That's sort of agritourism, but not really. We don't, we don't really do much other than the retail, the retail side.
2: Yeah. Again though, I mean, you've, you guys have figured out what works for you and I haven't really thought about that, but that brand image is really important. I mean, like it might not work for you right now, but other farms like that might be their brand. But for right now, you guys as your brand is the farm store. And I think that's, I mean, you're not spreading yourself too thin, which I mean, you're already busy. So that's a really smart way about going about it. Yeah.
1: And and, uh, again, you you know, like when you talk about brand, right, brand management image, um, and I'm not in any way throwing stones here, but like, the hayrides, apple cider donuts, corn maize, pumpkin patch, kind of farm stand—that's that's not us. That's not that's not what we do, right? This is a high-end grocery store and beautiful produce shop in the in the Hudson Valley. This is a place people come to buy stuff for their barbecues and for their kitchens. Um, and we could integrate certain components of that, but our brand again isn't. A seasonal um seasonal hayride farm right it's it's mm-hmm. a little bit more of a a year-round staple for people to get their food
2: yeah i like that i mean i interviewed a guy from dutch hollow farms in california two weeks ago and um their brand is like um they have a pumpkin patch they have um you pick flower cuts you can do a couple times a year they have events, but that's their brand. Like, they don't have a huge farm yeah. store. And I mean, yeah, like a lot of people think that, you know, if you have a farm, you need to do all the agritourism, like have a farm store, have hay rides, have everything. But I mean, you can only do so much. So it's about finding what works for you and then like really, really sticking with it because that's clearly working out for you guys.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's a, it's, it's not a straight line. You know, I think people don't no. understand that you need to. Again, I, I talked earlier about, Letting the market determine what we do and we know what we're good at. We're playing to our strengths. But as the farm store has grown, we've been pulling back from other things and putting our energy into the farm store because that's obviously what's working for us. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, You could say that if the opposite had been true and the farm store wasn't taking off and say it was the CSA or the restaurant sales or some other thing was growing exponentially, we would have leaned into that instead. Um, but our skill sets lended, or blended well with the way the market was pushing us in, in this case. And so if our main goal actually is to stop spreading ourselves so thin, we'd actually like to see us pull back even further from
2: mm.
1: other distractions. If we could grow squash, winter squash and potatoes for wholesale, and then have all of the rest of our sales be through the store, we'd be pretty happy with that as a, as an end goal.
2: Nice. There you go. I mean, do you think y'all can get to that like sometime sooner? Like what yes. steps do you think? You we're, guys we're, to get to
1: that? I mean, we're on the cusp of that already. Um, every year we've, you know, last year we continued to go to the farmer's market, but we changed our wholesale model where we, we only whole started selling wholesale in the fall kind of mm-hmm. right at labor day weekend. we started, selling crops, which worked well for what we did anyway. That's kind of, you know, on brand for for us because of what we grow. Um, but we said, all right, we're not going to we're not going to chase those summer dollars. We're going to let those go, uh, focus on the store, and we'll start wholesaling in the fall once crops really start rolling. That worked well. This year, we're doing that same thing, but we dropped out of the farmer's market so that we could put more energy and more crops towards the farm store. That's gone mm-hmm. really well. So, what the plan is next year? We're still a little bit too busy to figure, <laughs> figure, figure <laughs> that figure out. It out. Eventually, that's more like a post-Christmas conversation most of the time. That's that's the only that's our slow period. Is is after the holidays, after New Year's, things start to mm-hmm. slow down around here a little bit, uh, and that's when we'll start the strategic planning that we do every winter and figure out like, okay, did we grow? Did the store grow enough to justify? you know, simplifying the operation? Or do we need to stick with the plan um, and be more incremental?
2: I like that. And how, how important is it um, to have the plan, but also to pivot if when you realize like maybe the plan wasn't a good plan and you need to change the plan?
1: Oh, yeah. Plans don't mean anything. Anybody, <laughs> it doesn't mean anything. It, 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 you have to be very, very flexible in any industry. You have to be very, very flexible with like, What's working? Like if something's not working, you got to stop doing it. You either got to fix it or stop doing it. That's, mm-hmm. that's just the way it is um, so far. And all of these decisions in the, in the winter are gambles, right? You say, okay, we think the stores gross sales are going to grow by 15% next year. Okay. So what does that look like? What's the profit margin on that? Does that justify Dropping one of these other markets to simplify our management and improve the chances of hitting that 15% or bettering it. Mm-hmm. And you make that move. If we had dropped out of this farm, so far, this plan to drop out of this farmer's market, which was a, a, a fairly large market for us I mean, a 510 full box truck, six person, okay. you know, it, was, it was a big thing. Um, it, we walked away from a lot of money there. And so far that's worked out because we're really good at, we, we sit around and we really, we, we beat the numbers so hard. We're all so sick of these meetings by the time we finish them and make a decision. We we're we're all ready to go. Cause you really have to, to dig through the details and really prove your plan on the, on the numbers side, um, to yourself, you know, um, have somebody who's willing to ask those hard questions about like, yes, I understand the plan, but what if it doesn't work, right? How do you justify walking away from sales? So, um, it's a, it's an important thing to have a good plan. I don't think anybody should not make a plan because yeah. it, gives, it gives you a roadmap, but if it's not working, you, you have to, it, you, you cannot be emotional about those plans or about those desires, which can be very, very hard. Don't get me wrong. I've gotten emotional. I get emotional about all kinds of things in this business. But um, ultimately, your your feelings on the subject only matter so much as do you want to do it? Because mm. right? mm-hmm. you can't, you don't want to be, nobody wants to be have a job they don't like. Right? So, but that doesn't mean if you're the only way to make your farm function is to run a farm that you don't like, that doesn't mean it might mean that you can't have a farm, (laughs) right? That in that area, you that you have to walk away. It doesn't mean that you can make that business become something that works for you. Um, Because ultimately the market and your customers are going to determine what's going to, you know, and that's your region, your soils, your physical location. Do you lease or own all those factors come together to determine what works for you, um, and if it's not making you happy, you need to stop. But that doesn't mean that there's a flaw, you know, somewhere else.
2: Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, you've got to come up with a plan. But at some point, if the plan's not working, you got to throw out the plan and come up with another plan. Like, yeah, yeah,
1: write a new plan. Write a new, write plan. A new plan. You know, don't don't say, man, I really wanted that plan. That doesn't matter.
2: <laughs> yeah, the market doesn't care about your plan. The market exactly. has its own plan, and you've got you've actually, got to figure that out.
1: Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs>
2: Well, Max, this has been super fun chatting with you, man. Um, If people are in New York and they want to visit the farm store, where can they go? Because you guys have a super active Instagram and Facebook. But if they're in New York, where can they go and kind of follow you guys and try your produce? Uh,
1: Instagram is our kind of go-to for, you know, posting pictures and giving updates and stuff like that. The the farm, MX Morningstar Farm uh, and the MX... It's the Morningstar Farm Store Instagram account that, you know, the store has its own account. The farm has one. Um, so if you Google, you know, MX Morningstar or Morningstar Farm in one Morningstar, one word. Uh, yep. <laughs> and we're, we're the number one hit on Google for that. Um, and we'll come right up. But it's, you know, you can find us on our website, MXMorningstarFarm.com or, uh, just Google the farm name and follow the links from there. Um, and that will give you address, you know, the address for the farm store and directions. Uh, we're open seven days a week, uh, 10, ten to six every day. Um, so if you're in the area, you, you can you can find us. Deal.
2: Well, thanks so much, man. Um, my wife and I, we've got some friends in New York city, we might have to send them your way to, to try your produce someday soon. I'm, so sure they know, I'm
1: sure they know where Hudson, New York is. So. <laughs> I,
2: I, I think they said that they vacationed up there quite a bit. So I'm sure yeah, I'm that sure they, they do. Do.
1: <laughs> do. So yeah, send them our way.
2: Deal. Well, thanks so much, Max.
1: You bet, Trevor. Take care.
2: Thanks again to Max for coming on the show. And thank you for listening. Really appreciate it. As usual, if you enjoyed this episode, if you have some friends in New York that you think might want to go and check out Hudson and check out MX Morningstar Farm, share this episode. It's very simple on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Just look for the share icon and you can share it. You can send it via a text message, via an email, or better yet, you can share it on social media. That helps us out a ton getting the word out about Farm Traveler. And, of course, we always appreciate those organic shares for the episode. So we'll come back next week, and we'll see you with a brand-new episode.
0: Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors. Every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.